0: If your sphere of real estate influence is, guru, you know, self-proclaimed gurus and your friends on Facebook who, you know, post the $45,000 commission check or, or the guy selling you the shell, I mean, all these people have a vested interest in, in you, you know, being excited uh, about, about the, the real estate game. So, you know, to, to hear from me, all right, here's the due diligence you should do. Here's the type of contract you should get into with your GC. Suddenly it becomes a problem for people if, if reality hits too hard. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if I can stop someone from getting into a risky deal, that to me is better than, you know, it depends on what people's risk tolerance are. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're willing to jump into a deal uh, after I, I have your eyes totally open, then go for it. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser.
1: hello and welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. Today's show, we're going to dive into the subject of the law, real estate law. And this is obviously a very important subject because if you own property for the purpose of generating income, you've effectively made yourself a target for a lawsuit. So whether it comes to someone tripping on a sidewalk or a tenant suing you for something, as the owner of a property, you are at risk. So, our guest today is Attorney Joseph J. Consul. Consul. Sorry, Consul, sorry, of Consul Madison.
0: Consul Madison yeah. LLP.
1: Great. And Joseph has been practicing law since two thousand nine, and his focus is on real estate, real estate investment, business law, and estate planning. He is a graduate of Temple University and Rutgers Law School, and he works with clients in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Joseph.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, uh, Joseph, tell us a little bit more about your background. Fill in some of the gaps. How did you get interested in real estate law? Uh,
0: well, I went to uh, to Temple University. I was in their school of communications and theater. I, uh, I I thought initially I was going to be some kind of a film critic. Uh, then I realized that the the, the job prospects for, for for that were pretty low with the advent of the internet and all the free criticism okay. out there. Uh, and t- towards the end. Uh, of my college career, I was sort of blanking on what I was going to do next in my life, um, you know. Once once the real world uh, hit, and so to to avoid that, I thought I would go to more school. Uh, and sure. One thing uh, led to another. I, I tested really high on the on the LSAT to to get into law school, and that just sort of started the ball rolling. Where like. Suddenly, what was almost, you know, kind of like a, a lark t- turned into a, a serious pursuit. I, I took a year off between college and law school, but I, I started law school in uh, 2005. I graduated from Rutgers-Camden in 2008. Uh, I clerked for a judge in New Jersey. In 2009, she was a, an abuse and neglect, a Difus judge. Uh, I initially thought that that was the kind of law that I wanted to get into because i thought it would be helpful and and uh i'd be able to you know use my skills to help kids and i thought that would be awesome uh but the reality of that that type of law was was more than uh, i was able to to really picture myself handling for the rest of my life a little uh, too grim a little too a little too grim um my my judge, to her credit, uh, Judge Melendez. Uh, she's retired now, but she was. Uh, that was her her passion, her her lifelong passion, and it was it was amazing to get to work with her. But I, I realized that it wasn't where I was gonna gonna end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I after I clerked, I, I got a job for a. Uh, firm in New Jersey that represented a lot of townships, and in, in New Jersey, every uh, township has a solicitor that sits on their board, and they hear uh, zoning cases amongst just g- general uh, municipal business. And the attorney that I that I worked under sat for a number of um, a, a number of boards in Jersey, so I kind of uh, started to get a taste for at least the, the receiving end of. Zoning requests at that point, you know, the, the night meetings where the neighbors mm-hmm. come out and everyone, you know, talks about the project and uh, the developer presents and the architects and uh, in, in Jersey, the city planners and uh, the, and that sort of thing. So uh, I put a couple of years in at the law firm and I kind of took a calculated risk, not having a mortgage or any other financial kids or a wife or anything at the time and kind of real responsibilities uh, coupled with the fact that I um, pr- pr- proved to myself over and over again that I was not an employee, mm-hmm. and, and you can I guess lo- look at that from, from, from two ends, like I was a bad employee uh, or I was an, or i 'm a natural born entrepreneur <laughs>
1: but when you entered um, that phase of your professional life, you were coming right into the teeth of the recession right yeah I, the housing I, the housing crisis.
0: Well, right, right. When I first started uh, out of law school, that's correct. But it was no secret that Philadelphia was about to to pop off in terms of real estate. So I sort of made a calculated decision that I was not going to be a great employee at a law firm anywhere. And if I was ever going to build something of my own that I that it had to happen then. Uh, and, it, you know, Became starkly clear. I did some interviewing at that time, um, and I ultimately decided to start my own firm, focus on real estate in Philly, uh, just with the instinct or whatever the right word is that it, it was going to be, it was going to be a good move for me. And I liked real estate enough that I just kind of went for it. I, I had a partner originally who wasn't Madison. Him and I weren't a good long-term match, but he he's one of the better attorneys I know and a really funny guy. And so I was on my own for a few years, from about 13 to, to 16, and then I uh, partnered up with Scott Madison who came from a, a large firm in Philly, uh, and he's a really excellent attorney, and I'm super happy that him and I are partners. He, he focuses on primarily f- uh, family law, uh, and it kind of works uh, well in conjunction with the real estate, mm-hmm. in terms of practice areas that mm-hmm. that, that we offer, that's uh, great. That's, so that's great. That's kind of the that's great the deal.
1: So you know, it's really interesting that you brought up a different phase, all the different phases of law, because I think for people, particularly people that are not experienced, they think I, I need to get an attorney, and my cousin does divorce divorce law or whatever like that, and I need him to help me with this real estate thing. Can you explain to people why it's important that for a real estate transaction uh, that if they need legal advice, they should go to a real estate attorney.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, I think that that there is a need for some level of, of generalists in, in the, in the legal world. Uh, And I I think uh, that there was an instinct, at least when I started my own thing to, to kind of focus on a few different things to, to, because, you know, if you offer more things, you know uh, you might get in in theory, there's more work available. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, um, it's becomes clear, especially when you actually start practicing heavily, uh, that w- w- without specialized knowledge, you sort of – two things. You put people, uh, your clients, in uh, riskier situations because if I'm just dabbling in, I don't know, financing a, a private lo- loan mm-hmm. or – Doing a contract for, but between an owner and, and a GC for for a project, or even a lease, um, you know, th- there's all sorts of forms on the internet, and I'm I'm sure that's a, a topic we'll breach right. at some point, but that are meant or intended to make you feel like you're you're getting a product similar to what a specialized attorney. Will be able to provide you with, but every deal is different. And mm-hmm. so, if, if you're not dealing with someone that ha- has a, a breadth of uh, specific experience to what you're doing, you're kind of selling yourself short. And I, you know, the older I get, the, the more I, I see or the, the more I feel like good attorneys know what their limits are mm-hmm. and don't mm-hmm. try to s- step too far outside of those bounds. You know, there, there's always calculated risks. But.
1: Right, right. So it's like it's like medicine. It's like a doctor. I mean, you wouldn't go to a podi- podiatrist. If you had a skin condition, yeah, right. Sure, <laughs> right, a sure. plastic surgeon, a plastic surgeon to fix your, you know, your brain or something. So,
0: yeah, right. I, I don't know if the consequences of, of me <laughs> right. s- screwing up a a, a, a term of a lease are, are quite the same as a podiatrist doing open heart surgery, right. Right. but uh, I I think the analogy has some some, some merit.
1: So yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on this the the do it yourself legal uh, legal Zoom. How has that affected your profession? Do you find that it helps to have so much free information out there because the consumer is better educated or does it end up intimidating and overwhelming and confusing the consumer when they, when they contact you?
0: That's a good question. I think like, for example, there's one two page agreement of sale that is from uh, either rocket lawyer or legal zoom that I've seen probably 60 or 70 times. Folks just say here, can you like review this agreement of sale that I put together? And I'm like, oh my god, I've seen this one a million times. There's like all this other stuff we got to add. Do you mind if I just start from scratch? Uh, beca- because I I just know what what the trappings and the failings are. You know the those online uh, agencies like LegalZoom and stuff. I think they are eating a little bit of, of, of lunch in terms of l- lawyers, but they're kind of plucking at a lot of the low hanging fruit, um, like uh, simple wills. Uh, powers of attorney, mm-hmm. you know, their uh, lease work. Um, not, not that there's not nuances in, in leases, but you can get a pretty good residential plug and play lease. M- maybe not as state specific as, as I'd like, mm-hmm. but, um, you can do all right. But, but for the most part, uh, they're not, those companies don't have their sights set on, um, someone like me. I mean, m- maybe right. they do, but I, you know, working with a lot of real estate investors in Philly, which is my primary client base, uh, those folks are good because they're you're willing to put money at, you know, to get things done right. Right, um, right. And you know what you don't know, so it's better to hire. You know, mm-hmm. better to hire people. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So, what are some common <clears throat> mistakes that you see new or inexperienced real estate investors uh, make that can get them into legal hot water?
0: So I, I thought about this one uh, a, a little bit. I, I think that there's, I don't know, These are three categories. But so say you're you're someone. Uh, Folks usually start off with like a fix and flip or or a, or a buy and hold or or something like that. Uh, I think the the first step that can cause issues is the financing. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there who are lending money, what they call hard hard money loans. Uh, and if you're a an anxious newbie and you see the possibility of what to you feels like you know no strings attached, mm-hmm. money, uh, you, you might jump in and you know borrow um, against the property and do an interest-only loan, but there's all kinds of terms that go into into the hard money. I mean, they call it hard money for a reason, reason. Yep. that make it difficult for folks to get to- become totally successful unless they are going into it eyes open and with some level of experience. So if you have like a, a year-long interest-only loan with a balloon at the end. Where if you go past that one-year point, suddenly you owe more points to the lender, and now he has the ability to take the property from you. If you didn't do a lot of what's the right word prep work beforehand to budget your time and money, uh, you may find yourself in, in a bad position, and then suddenly you wasted a year of your life and what felt like a really big chance that you took to to make a profit off of a property and start your legal you know your real estate right, career right. uh to you know turned out to be for for naught um...
1: And that first deal I mean that's so important because if if people get crushed typically that's it I mean even if they have the the self drive to do another deal in terms of the people that they were working with, the contractors, other investors, other people are going to be like, ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, right. Not, not interested. <laughs> there's, so. there's
0: guys out there that sell themselves w- well enough that the, uh, I've seen folks with, you know, nine lives okay. in <laughs> terms of sc- screwing up and putting other people's money at risk, mm-hmm. and, and yet somehow you get a call a month later and they're – And, you know, they're and in, they've been resurrected. Yeah, right. They're in more hot water. Uh, and so I, I guess those can be good clients for me in a sense too, but – Um, And so, yeah, budgeting your time and money, people uh, seem to want to be super optimistic uh, about how long or how short uh, a project's going to take and how much it's not going to cost. And so my my advice, and I'm sure, you know, this is just good advice generally, but it is to over plan for how long it's going to take and, you know over budget in terms of how much money you think you're going to spend by by a large degree
1: and how i mean you know with you being a a licensed attorney i mean people come to you expecting to hear the full range of problems that they could potentially face so how do you how do you kind of deal with your clients so that you're not kind of raining on their parade you know that you're not seeming like a debbie downer (laughs) How, how do you kind of counsel your your, your clients so that they uh, maintain that enthusiasm and that excitement for the project
0: well I think part of my job is to bum people out a little bit okay. um, well or I, I guess bring Burst the bubble a little bit yeah' well, bring bring to reality maybe uh if if your if your sphere of real estate influence is guru, you know self proclaimed gurus and your friends on Facebook who you know post the forty five thousand dollar commission check right uh and you, you get all jazzed about that, or, or the guy selling you the shell. It, I mean, all, all these people have a vested interest in in you, you know, being excited uh, about about the the real estate game. So you know, to to hear from me, all right, here's the due diligence you should do. Here's the uh, here's the type of contract you should get into with your GC. Uh, so suddenly, it it becomes. It becomes a problem for, for, for people if, if reality hits too hard. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if I can stop someone from getting into a risky deal, uh, that to me is better than, you know, it, it depends on what people's risk tolerance are. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're willing to jump into a deal uh, after I, I, I have your eyes totally open, then go for it. And, you know, you're an adult.
1: So um, there's a a cool tool, legal tool, called an estoppel, which I think a lot of people, particularly if they're inexperienced or new, might not be familiar with, particularly with commercial real estate. Can you explain to the audience what an estoppel is and why it's so effective?
0: You're talking about like a tenant estoppel certificate? Yeah, yeah, a estoppel certificate. So estoppel certificate is uh, if you're um, purchasing a tenant-occupied building, you can demand from the seller that he produce what's called a tenant estoppel certificate. They call them TECs. And these are, and I actually pulled one up. Um, these are documents that have the landlord and tenant themselves confirm certain key bits of information from from their lease, uh, like the the the, the dates, dates of the lease, as both landlord and tenant understand it, the amount of rent, the Contact info for everyone. How much is on deposit? What the tenant understands the renewal or extension uh, rights to be un- under the lease, and what's good about that? It, it's really it's good for the buyers because a- as a buyer, it, it does two things. It, it allows you to have a clear picture of what all these tenants think of the landlord uh, and the owner as it as it stands now. Because if if you hear from this seller and he says, I can't get any of these certificates, no one's, no one's providing them to me, you know that there's maybe something wrong in that relationship there. Either he's uh, d- deficient in one way or another, but either way, you're walking into something that you may suddenly become a little m- more antsy about. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, now good, good leases have uh, requirements in them of the tenants to fill out these uh, estoppel certificates if, if asked to uh, within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, you know, whatever, 15 days or 30 days, Uh, and if the tenant doesn't, they essentially waive any opposition to anything that the landlord fills out on those forms. So what happens is, as the seller, you fill out your side of it, and you say, here's what I understand the rent to be, here's what I understand the term to be, etc. You give it to your, and you sign it, and you give it to the tenant. If the tenant fails to return it with their signature on it, uh, and they're either agreeing or disagreeing with what you put on there, then you can waive and, and the buyer um, the tenant waives their legal objection to any of th- the things you put on there so if the buyer wants some assurance or doesn't really care what the relationship is between the landlord and tenant and just wants to know legally that um, the the tenant can't come back after uh, I buy the property and argue that the rent was only 300 right uh, right that you, you have this you know uh, sword that uh, uh, allows you to say evict somebody if you need if mm-hmm. you need to mm-hmm. um,
1: yeah, so let's be like crystal clear about this because I think some people might hear this and say, "Well, isn't that in the lease? Isn't doesn't the lease say how much they're supposed to pay?" And the situation is that through time people kind of have these gentleman agreements where, you know, somebody's living in an apartment, the market rent is X, but the reality is that they're paying Y. And so this this document is really, like you said, making it crystal clear what does the tenant what is the tenant's understanding right. as to what their legal obligation is in terms of paying the rent? When's it due? All that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, a, a lease is a snapshot in time. Okay, um, that, like you said, through through the years, things get
1: relaxed. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: like maybe there was real strict. You always you got to pay for the water, and then suddenly the landlord for you know for the last five years just forgot about it. Um, but you know, as a uh, a buyer, w- when you're when you're doing your financials, you Look at things like how much is like oh this lease great this lease says that they're paying a third of the utilities uh, but if they've never done that it's you know you can't expect to just come in and start forcing them to, to do that you know people do try but uh, it's good to know when that's going to be a challenge because right. if certain if if a hundred dollars here and oh, a dollars there f- from each tenant. Adds up that that's that's real money because suddenly you're talking about you know the better part of a thousand bucks say right, for right. for a four unit that might not be getting collected and right. that really goes exactly. to your bottom line
1: exactly and sometimes it's it's a situation like you said the seller is saying to you oh I can't get the tenants to sign it well the truth might be that he hasn't asked the tenants <laughs> because he's told you the buyer hey this is what you can get this is what you can get in rent but the reality is he's been collecting significantly underneath that and now having the tenant sign something um is really gonna is really gonna kibosh the deal
0: yep there's a lot there's a lot of shady folks in all in all business that that i've that i've learned um and real estate's no exception you don't want to not trust everybody but i i I don't know like what other option you have if if you want to make money
1: so when buying real estate particularly commercial real estate should each property be held in its own um llc or is it possible that if you have um, multiple buildings of the same type, like you have two or three apartment buildings, is it okay for them to all live under the same entity, to well, be that, the same entity?
0: That's sort of like a risk tolerance question. Uh, you know, there, when I've spoken specifically about LLCs and, and, and property ownership in the past, you'll get people in the audience, inevitably, who have one LLC, I mean, one property per LLC. And you'll get folks that have 20. And, you know, the folks that have one, it's their, their, their reasoning is an abundance of caution. So the, 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 sh- the shorthand is, uh, imagine something that occurs at, at your rental property in, in your LLC, uh, that leads to a judgment of, you know, Whatever five times the cost of the property, suddenly to, to get that money from you, the cre- the creditors or wh- whoever sued you is is able to attack other assets owned by that LLC. So the theory is, if you've only got one property in there, if that's the one that catches fire, you know, just to, to pick whatever the, the, wor- the worst thing to think of, um, then uh, th- then th- they can only come after that one property, and you kind of mitigate your your risk. On the flip side, every LLC costs x amount of dollars for your accountant to put together every year every llc is an extra set of paperwork that you're going to receive things in the mail stuff you got to remember folders that have to be filled with eins and uh you know to p- commercial activity tax licenses yeah, right I mean, yeah ta- tax id uh so it it kind of just adds to a m- the complicated, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Na- na- you know, nature of having businesses, but suddenly you've got a hundred businesses. Right, right. And I-, I think if you've got large buildings, that might make sense. But I, I don't know if putting a single family, every single family home in, in its own LLC. Well,
1: that's another thing too. I mean, a lot of times on uh, some of these uh, residential real estate uh, investing sites, you see people saying, advising people to form LLCs for these single family rentals. And, you know, really, is that necessary? Uh, shouldn't that person just maybe get a really good insurance policy? That's what I was
0: going to say. So the r- risk I- I- generally is, is tempered by insurance.
1: Mm-hmm. But let's back up a little bit. Let's explain what an LLC is for uh, those that might not know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, an LLC is a limited liability company. It's kind of a hybrid between a corporation and uh, an individual person or you mm-hmm. know, a collection of individual people. So, from a tax perspective, folks get taxed uh, not on the corporate level. Meaning, if you're a corporation, there, there's a certain uh, corporate tax that gets paid by the corporation itself before the money is allowed to flow to its employees or shareholders. Uh, with an LLC, if the the LLC profits a hundred dollars for for the fiscal year and you own fifty percent, it's determined that you're uh, you know you made fifty dollars in that year. You know that's kind of a, okay. there's, it's a lot more complicated than that. But the, the point, the point is that's how it works. Uh, that's kind of closer to it being like a, a sole proprietorship, but okay. mm-hmm. it has corporate protections, which allow you to do business as a business. Mm-hmm. So you don't put yourself at risk. Every time you buy a property, you start a company. And as long as you behave uh, as if you're a company Then the the world has America has decided that you've got you've you deserve a level of protection uh, that will only hold that company liable, um, you know, absent you doing something um, stupid personally uh, that you know injures someone or is fraud or that sort of thing. Then. You're determined to have these corporate protections that allow you to, you know, in in the worst case scenario, burn the bridges and and move on, start another company.
1: So it's it's a potentially very powerful legal ownership structure. And so for somebody who is just dipping their toe in the water, first time rehabber or uh, first time buy and hold with one property, um, you started to say that insurance being properly insured would be a better way to go than to form an LLC entity for this one single family house. Right? Yeah,
0: definitely. Like it, you can kind of like think of uh, what like is the worst case scenario. What's the like, how much of a judgment could I possibly get against me and then see how much that would cost to get that much insurance. And I think you'll be pretty surprised at how not, not expensive it is to, to jack up your policy limits um, for insurance, so in in that in that scenario, say your risk tolerance is five properties to an LLC or, or three. Mm-hmm. If if something happens on property one, then the uh, assuming the insurance would cover it, the insurance would step in and cover that big judgment, and then properties you know two, two, three, four, five would uh, be totally fine. And you just move on, you know, move on, and you know it affects your deductible and all that stuff. But that's that's a different conversation.
1: Okay, okay. So, folks, today we're speaking with real estate attorney Joseph Cons- uh, Consul, 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 who practices uh, real estate law both here in Pennsylvania and in New Jersey. Okay, so Joe, I'm going to read you some real life questions uh, that I got from investors, and I'd like to get your response. Um, I'm going to use the pronoun I, even though these aren't my questions, but just to kind of make it easier for the listeners to to follow along. So, first question. I'm looking to buy a small apartment building in Philly that is owned in an LLC. The seller has suggested I buy the LLC that owns the building to avoid paying transfer taxes. Is that legal? And is there any potential problem going that route?
0: Well, it is legal, but the seller has already lied to you. Um, because, uh, so if, if say you have an LLC and LLC is owned by two people, they each own 50% interest. Um, if, well, what's, what's a better way to think about it? So say it's an LLC owned by one person. That person has a hundred percent interest. According to the state of Pennsylvania or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, if I want to sell you that LLC and avoid transfer tax, I can't transfer uh I can only transfer up to 90% over a 3-year period. So th- that's what triggers the transfer taxes. As soon as over 90% is uh, of an ownership is transferred within a 3-year period, you have to pay transfer tax. So in the scenario you're talking about, as soon as that guy sells the LLC, assuming that they don't have any creative <clears throat> sales agreements in place, the transfer tax is technically uh, immediately Uh, Becoming due Um, Now folks try to get around that uh, But because the ownership of an LLC Is is, uh, Can can be kept hidden uh, And I can't really speak to that Uh, You know I I think that People probably do sell LLCs all the time But if But this would be like an off the books deal Because if you've got A title company involved And lending involved Yeah there's going to be other underwriters uh, looking at the yeah. deal, and they're not going to be willing to just ignore, you know, what's right. ha- what's happening, uh, and, and I'll, I'll let you get away with, you know, that, uh, avoiding the transfer tax, that sort of thing. So, what folks can do is, you know, if it's a large, if it's an LLC with with large holdings, and someone wants to sell it, is you can sell off uh, pr- proportions of it. Over you know a four-year period to uh, allow after that third year for f- full ownership control to switch over, and in th- that way you can avoid transfer tax. You can phase out the old owners and, f- and phase in the new ones, and th- that's a good strategy. Uh, although that's not really how the real estate game always works. You know, the, I could I could delve into the, the nerdiness the nerdiness of handling that sort of a thing for a while, but. Generally, um, you don't beat the transfer tax uh, mm-hmm. if if you just want to buy the LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a real estate, if it's considered a real estate company, PA does, they they know that trick and they're not. Okay. They're not willing. Like like if you're a, a large corporation and you and you make bottle caps, but you also own um you you also own a, a small warehouse. Mm-hmm. If you're selling that corporation, that transfer tax does not kick in because you're not considered a real estate company. Okay. I should have said that before. I said the other stuff I said, but... um. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: Uh, So here's the next question. Uh, I have a couple of real house rentals in a section of the city that is starting to take off. I'd like to turn them from regular rentals to Airbnbs. Any legal issues I need to be aware of um, or anything from a liability standpoint... Uh, I don't know about a I don't know about a
0: liability standpoint. I understand that they're they're pretty. Because uh,
1: now I'm going to have more more people coming through, staying there, short term rentals.
0: Yeah. So, like, from a, a if we're talking about Philadelphia, which I guess we this is mm. hyper local, right? So we are uh, in Philadelphia. They've got what's called a, a limited. So, if you're going to rent your property for under 90 days on Airbnb, Philly doesn't care. They're more than happy to let you yet. do it. Yeah. Yeah. yet They <laughs> don't. So from 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 day. From day one to, to day 89, just go nuts. You know, If you're like a, a Airbnb weekend warrior, that sort of thing, uh, it's good. They, they still want you to pay the hotel tax uh, and have a uh, BIRT, the business and income and receipts tax and the commercial activity license. But they aren't going to regulate you um, and don't require a permit. If you're gonna be renting your place from 90 days to 180 days, then you got to have a limited lodging permit. You got to apply for that and get that. But still, if you have a, um, the ability to either rent one home or if you have four rental licenses, you, you're, you're able to do that. The issue comes in when you're trying to be full time, and suddenly you're asking what's you know basically for a hotel license in Philly. Um, and if you think about it, it would almost be unfair uh if these cities and i know new york ha- had a big backlash against it were to just say all right well these apartments can now be full time hotel rooms um you know w- with no repercussions whereas the, the the hotels you know that that, that that's their livelihood so th- these precautions i think are 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 good um for the industry as as a whole uh mm-hmm. but you know if if you're going to just try to turn your single family home into a full time airbnb That's not going to happen. I mean, you got to go in front of the zoning board and it's the kind of thing that folks are are shooting down left and right. It's just not not really feasible in the climate right now in Philly.
1: Okay. Um, Okay. Um, Next question. My rental home caught fire and had extensive damage. I have insurance, obviously, but my tenant also carries renter's insurance. Do I have a legal claim to collect from his insurance company or is that just not... That's not allowed. No, well that's really for his possessions, right? It's yeah, not for the unit. Renters'
0: policies. I'm I'm not a, a an insurance y e kind of lawyer in, okay. in, in that I, I don't deal with, with the results of claims and that sort of thing. But I, I I know that renters renters policies protect the possessions of the renter and then you know, your your policy protects the around the renter, right? Okay.
1: So here's a here's a interesting question. I'm a first time landlord. Can I evict a tenant for being rude and inconsiderate? (laughs) There have been a few times I've needed to have contractors come into the unit to make repairs, and the contractor was either denied access or no one was home. In all of these instances, the time was mutually agreed upon between the tenant, the contractor, and myself. Um, Also, when I come by the unit uh, just to check on things, um, to address issues with the apartment, to pick up the rent, etc., The apartment often smells like uh, weed. Um, Not weed. (laughs) I'd like to begin the eviction process or terminate this lease and would like to know if I can for those reasons. So the person has been paying the rent on time, but they're just really hard to deal with.
0: Uh, Well, let me give you the number number one lawyer answer, and that's it depends. Okay. Uh, So in, in that scenario... Uh, if your lease says you know the tenant's got to provide access to the landlord or landlord's designees within 24 hours notice uh, and the tenant fails to do that numerous times yeah technically you could you could file an eviction for breach of the lease but practically uh, and again speaking hyper locally in Philadelphia that's not going to get you anywhere I mean the, they might show up and the, the judge might slap the tenant on the wrist but they're, they're not going to allow allow you to get the sheriff uh, right. to their house and to you know put their possessions at the curb because they um you know t- they're going to tell the judge I you know whatever I told him yeah 24 hours is fine but I had to go to the doctors mm-hmm. or I had right. or whatever right. happened and there's just no way that that, that the sympathy the sympathy is going to fall on the side of the landlord in in that scenario um yeah it's just not going to happen i mean for as you go up the ladder of uh, infractions you get closer and closer to to me saying yeah that that's good You know, uh, someone smoking weed, you you smell it. I I don't know if that gets you there. Mm -hmm. If there's actual drug activity that's documented, Mm -hmm. now we're getting closer to something that you could present to a judge and say, look, the cops have been called numerous times. Other tenants are complaining. Uh, And then you've got something that could stick for a a breach of lease. Okay. Um, Otherwise – it's just the uh, landlord sort of harassing the, 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 the tenant.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So here's a question. In the eyes of the court. In the eyes of the court. So here's a question from the <clears throat> tenant's uh, perspective. Um, my, uh, a different question. My landlord died without a will, and now the landlord's son wants me to pay him rent. But the son, the adult son, can't give me any proof that he has a legal right to receive that rent. Because it's not clear who currently owns the property.
0: Uh, I think so do I have to pay him well in, in that really specific scenario if if you consult with someone and they can't figure out who the person to pay is uh, and again that's we're talking about questions about probate now and administrations of estates uh, the short answer is you don't get to live you're not living there for free uh, and the, the the best advice quick on that scenario is Assuming that I can't figure out who you should be paying the money to would be to put the money in an escrow account and just say as soon as I get proof positive that you're the you know the ad the admin of the estate the executor of the estate then uh, I'll I'll release that money um, you know once that you can satisfy that and until then I'll provide you proof that I'm putting it in escrow if that's a legit concern mm-hmm. if you're using it as kind of a a, a way to, to defend having to pay rent. I would I would counsel you otherwise mm-hmm. because in the long run that's not a great strategy, but right. it might get you a few months and then once the dust settles and people get their papers in order, then you know they're right. you're right. gonna have to
1: Everybody's always looking for an angle though. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's why I
0: don't really represent tenants
1: so, Joe, uh, you know, what's the best way for, for people to, to connect with you? Um, how do you like people to approach you, particularly if they want to retain you? How, well, how should they prepare to? We
0: are Consul Madison LLP. We have an office on Broad Street at, uh, at Broad and Walnut. Um, we have an office in Delaware County in media. Um, you can reach out to either myself or Scott, uh, Joe at ConsulLegal.com. Um, that's C-O-N-S-O-L-E-L-E-G-A-L or uh, scott at console legal.com. I am good by email. You can call me. <laughs> you know I'm, I'm on the internet, uh, just like everyone else. Uh, so you're, you're more than welcome to call me at, at any time.
1: Well, Joe, this has been really helpful. So folks, uh, there you have it. Uh, we've been talking with Joe Consul of uh, Consul in Madison.
0: Consul Madison.
1: And he is a real estate attorney here in PA and in New Jersey, obviously as well too. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming in. It's been great having you here today.
0: Thank you for having me. Yeah.
1: And so guys, there you have it. It's time for us to wrap things up. But before we close out this episode, remember you can uh, find us on Apple podcasts, Google play or Spotify. Just do a search for the jumpstart Philly real estate radio show. Also, you know, if there are, different people or topics you want us to cover, you know, reach out to me. Let me know if you you want some different topics. Happy to hear from all of you. Go to the jumpstartgermantown.com website and there's a way that you can um, reach out to me through that website. So folks, thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.